0: We're going to move on in this text now. Everything that we hear from this point forward out of, out of Paul's mouth is, he's talking, about, he's talking about my beloved son. He's talking about the father's beloved son. And he gets so excited about it that he sits down, moves away from the table for just a moment, and he writes a song. He writes a hymn. A hymn of the preeminence of God, the, the firstness, the greatness, the, 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 the no one like himness of of Jesus. Preeminence means first, or superior, or excellent. It's not just first in rank, but it's in quality. Jesus isn't, isn't one who's competing for first place amongst other gods. Jesus is one and only, and he is first because of the quality of who he is. Jesus is God, a very God. And the thing is, we don't make him first. He is first whether we acknowledge it or not. And there is a problem with that, though, right? We struggle in our heart with other gods, We struggle with things that are still in the closet that we didn't let go, even though we've heard of the goodness of God and the salvation that is ours. There are places where we know that we, in our hearts, we have not made him first. But let there be no doubt in your mind this morning, as Paul speaks to us through this hymn, that Jesus is preeminent. He is first. Of all things. He's first in creation and first in redemption. He writes this song this way it's it's in two big stanzas, and, and in the middle, there's this pinnacle of the hymn that separates the two chunks. The first chunk is this He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And then when he gets to the middle, sorry, when he gets to the middle, verse 17, there's this, this recapitulation, there's the, he's, he recaps what he just said, and the way he recaps it, he says, and he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. Now he transitions, transitions from him being preeminent or first in creation. He transitioned, he's first in redemption. All the work that he did in salvation, he is first and he is preeminent. He recaps it. At the beginning, it's almost like this, if you could envision it, it's it's kind of like a mountain. He works his way up the mountain, he recaps what he just said, and then he recaps what he's going to say, he gives you an entrance, and then he works his way down the mountain. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. If you want to, look at your text and see the connections. The first connection I want you to see is the he is statements at the beginning of verse 15, and then At the end of verse 18, the beginning of 18b, he says, he is the image of God, and then he says, he is the beginning. Yeah, guys, this isn't moving fast enough for me to help you guys track with the the screen. So look in your Bibles and see these connections. He is the image of the events. while he is the beginning. The next connection I want you to see is the word firstborn. He's the firstborn of all creation. And then down in 18, he says, he's the firstborn from the dead. And then further clarifying who he is in, in creation and redemption. Verse 16, he says, for by him all things were created. And then in 19, he says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And then the peak of the mountain is there at 17 and 18 and he is before all things, and he is the head of the body, the church. And he begins here. He begins that with this idea that he is the image of the invisible God. This is going to make me frustrated right in front of you, and I'm going to sin right in front of God and everybody. <laughs> He's. He begins with, he's the image of the invisible God. Jesus makes the invisible visible. The word here for image is icon. It's 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 not just a picture or a sculpture. You might think of the word icon maybe in some of the Orthodox churches where people will venerate or they will worship uh, pictures or idols. It's not just a picture or a sculpture, though, that represents God. It is, he is very God of very God. Hebrews 1.3 says that he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's not just a 3D sculpture that gives us a good idea, but he is the living manifestation of God, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. Jesus was prophesied As God with us. He's not just an idea, invisible God. He is the one who is with us. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God, with us. And this isn't easy for for us all to understand. The, The disciples even struggled. The disciples said, Lord, show us the Father... And it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? He's talking to Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He's made him known. The apostles, the apostles believed it and John wrote about it really clearly. John 1.14, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. And then John 1.18, no one has has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but he, Jesus, has made him known. John says that we've seen God. When When you read the Gospels and you read of the stories of who Jesus was and you see him interacting and being personal with men and women and children, this is God of very God who's interacting with people. Jesus is not only made visible, he's also the firstborn of all creation. He's the firstborn of all creation, and he's supreme over his creation. It can be confusing when we think of this word firstborn, because firstborn to us is this, this idea of birth order. I'm the secondborn of my family, actually the thirdborn of my family, my, my, my brother was older than me passed away when I was young, so I'm the thirdborn of my family. But in Jewish wisdom literature, the firstborn is not the firstborn in order, but firstborn in character, firstborn in honor. Speaking of the Messiah, here in Psalm 89, the psalmist says, I will make him the firstborn the highest of the kings of the earth. You see here, it's not his birth order that's the issue. It's his his placement within the the world order. It's his character that makes him the firstborn. When the J-dubs come to your door and they say, Jesus is not God, and you begin having this struggle with them, this is where we go. See, this idea of Jesus being born is not a birth order thing at all. The idea of Jesus being the firstborn is his, his character. It is his honor, it is his place in all of creation. Not only that, but the, the context of verse 16 and 17, it just wouldn't make sense if it was birth order. Because for by him all things were created. If you look at verse 16, it says all things were created by him. It's not about his birth order, it's about what he has done and what he's accomplished and who he is, it's his character and it's his place of honor. Jesus is first over all creation and some of the reason why is because he is the one who created it. That just makes sense, doesn't it? When you create a thing, you get to be the first of it. Psalm 89, 11. Here it is. It's happening in my mind. You guys don't even see it. Psalm 89 11, the heavens are yours. The earth is, earth is also yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. And John 1, 3, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. It's all his. He made the whole thing. Kuyper says it this way. There's not a square inch on planet earth where Jesus does not say, Mine heaven and earth, visible and invisible. The universe, everything on the planet and the planet itself is his. Whether you can see it or not, he made it. Thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, these are references to the created order of angelic beings. So much fear surrounds us when we start talking about angels and and dominions and demons and demons you, you, you understand Jesus created them. You understand Jesus put them in their orders. The one who created it is the greatest of it. He is the firstborn of all creation. Not only was, every, was everything created through Jesus, but it is created unto Jesus. It is created for him. Even better translated, it is created towards him. Everything in creation points to him. Everything in creation points to Christ. What does this mean? What does it mean? It's all his. I submit to the to the God of glory, the God of creation, who created everything that's here. And often I, I hear myself praying as, as the apostles prayed, Oh God, Lord of heaven and earth. How appropriate is that? Even this planet, in its state of groaning because of sin, groans why? For the return of Jesus. One day, all created things, created things including all humanity, all created things are going to bow the knee to Jesus. All creation points to the glory of Christ. I'm grateful that uh, I'm grateful that I get to uh, take trips to Australia like y'all let me do. There's a picture that's missing in there. I don't know if you can find it in, that, in the slides, but for some reason it must, must not have transferred. So imagine that picture that's there. It's not actually a picture of a mountain because it didn't look like that in Australia. Woke up really early in the morning, and this is after two weeks of ministry and kind of pouring out to, to people and caring for people, and it really was Joyful. To see God move and change people's lives. And I needed some input. I needed to drink in something from the Lord. And I was longing for Him to speak to me. So I would wake up early in the morning, the three days that I was there by the ocean, and I would watch the sunrise. So that picture right there is a sunrise on the Gold Coast in Australia. And there was nobody around some birds, a couple of crabs making their way in and out of holes. You know what I heard there? I got real, real quiet before God. You know what I heard? I heard waves. I heard waves crashing. About every four seconds a wave would come. Some of them louder than others. Some of them just kind of whoosh. But Some of them would begin to crash and make really loud noises, a loud enough noise that it would, would actually, the percussion of it crashing, I could feel it in my chest. Every four seconds, almost eight million waves a year crash into the shore in Australia. And you know what I heard them saying? And, and Now you didn't understand, like I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy that he has audible voices. But as I was quiet for that hour before the Lord, this is what I heard him saying. Praise him. Every crash, praise him. Sometimes they were really loud. Praise him. Sometimes they were quiet. Praise him. And it was like a choir of about 1,000 people. It got ridiculously loud in my head. It's all I could hear was waves crashing on the shore. And they were all saying the same thing. Praise him. Praise him. Do you understand there are 22,000 miles of coastline on Australia? Every crash of every wave. Praise him. Praise him. Do you know that the majority of coastline, there's actually nobody even there to hear it and it's still saying the same thing praise him praise him you know what i think I, I think creation was created just for that purpose now we get to enjoy it and i love to just kind of jump into the ocean and swim in it all and enjoy it and love it and the warmth of it and it's phenomenal but you know what what it actually was created for to bring him glory 22,000 miles of shoreline every four seconds is repeating and resounding the glory of God. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thou burning sun with golden beam, thou silver moon with softer gleam, thou rushing wind that art so strong, <laughs> Ye clouds that sail in heaven along, oh, praise Him, hallelujah. Thou raising moon, in praise rejoice. Ye lights of evening, find a voice. Let all things their Creator bless and worship Him in humbleness. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah. Praise, praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, three in one. He is the God of creation, He created it, He's firstborn of it and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Here's the pinnacle. The pinnacle of his hymn says in him all things hold together. Jesus is first in creation here because he was the first. He is before all things. Genesis 1:1, in the beginning God. John 1:2, he was with God in the beginning. As creator of all things, Jesus was there before all things. And when you're there before all things, you get to be first of all things. He's also first in creation because he sustains it. In him, all things hold together. He's the glue, he's the strength, he's the power that keeps everything from from just disintegrating and exploding and, and and becoming nothingness. And he's doing that every single millisecond of every single day. Kent Hughes says this there's another slide missing. I'm so disappointed. The perfect tense in this scripture says, it tells us that, that he is continues now to hold all things together and that apart from his continuing activity, all would disintegrate, all would come to nothingness. He's doing it every moment of every single day. Do you, re, do you realize the expanse of Jesus' creation? Do you realize how big it actually is? I need to do a little bit of reading, and I, I found one little nugget that gave me a little bit of perspective. If you counted every single star in the Milky Way, you realize the Milky Way is just a, is just a galaxy. It's not the universe. And if you counted every single star in the Milky Way, and you did it every second, like one, two, three. Four. I'm not going to count them all. Six, ten. If you took one second to count one star in all of the Milky Way, you know how long it would take you? It would take you 2,500 years. That's just the Milky Way. That's like our subdivision. Do you understand that there are estimated 2 trillion galaxies in the universe? Two trillion of those. And this is what God says. Look at this. This is what God says about the heavens. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Look at that Milky Way who created all of these. He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each one by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. I love how intimate that sounds to me. He knows every single square inch of the universe. The confidence that it gives me, that he knows me. I'm part of his creation. He knows every little bit of me. Everything that I'm embarrassed of, Everything I'm ashamed of, every little nugget of who I am, he knows me. And he loves me. Isn't that shocking? He's not forgotten me. He knows every bit. Not only is this this God of the massive magnitude, he's also the God of, of the molecular. He knows the tiniest bits of how this world and universe work. Do you understand, inside the oxygen molecule, now, now some of you are rele- be- way better at science than I am, so you're probably going to have to like correct my terminology, but I'm going to try. Inside the oxygen molecule is the nucleus. How am I doing so far? And inside that nucleus are eight positive protons and eight neutrons. See, the laws of physics... An electrical charge. Do you understand? Here's how we all know this. Like magnets. When you put the positive side to the positive side, what happens? It separates. When you put the negative side and the positive side together, they connect. We all remember that, right? So inside the nucleus of the oxygen molecule is eight positive protons. They're actually supposed to repel one another. They're they're actually supposed to explode. Here's what what scientists say about that. They say that scientists call it the strong nuclear force. The strong nuclear force. This guy, Carl, um, Carl Darrow, says this. He says... The fact that we live in a world in which practically every object is a potential nuclear explosive without being blown to bits is due to the extreme difficulties that attend to starting the starting of a nuclear reaction. he said, He's saying here, there's a strong nuclear force that holds things together. You grasp what this implies. It implies that all the massive nuclear have no right to be alive at all. Indeed, they should never have been created, and if created, they should have blown up instantly. Yet here they all are. Some inflexible inhibition is holding them relentlessly together. The nature of the inhibition is also a secret. We know the secret, don't we? He holds all things together. He knows every inch of it. He knows exactly how it works. You know why? He made it. He made it. Here's a part that's that's really close to our heart, right? Not only is the universe huge and God knows every little square, little minute inch of this planet, of his creation, he knows every person. There are 7.5 million people in the world Let's interpret that in spiritual terms. There are 7.5 million souls in the world. And the good news is that this same Jesus is the head of the redemption plan. Jesus is first in creation, and he is first in redemption. He is the head of the body, the church. This is the beginning of the second half, half of the hymn. He is the head of the body, the church. And the head is the most important part of the body, It leads, it directs. Jesus has given purpose to the church. Bringing God glory on mission, loving God and loving others is his idea and he directs it. Jesus has given resources. Each one of you where you sit represents a resource that God has given to the church. He has given gifts, he has given talents and he has given people to the body of Christ. Jesus is in it with us. The head doesn't go off and do something else. We call that a chicken with its head cut off. We don't do that kind of life in the church. He never separates himself from us. He never abandons us. The head is personally connected to us in the world. He says, and lo, I will be with you always. And here's the thing about the one who's the head of the church, if he created it, if he resources it, if he's the one who empowers it, guess what? He's the one who gets to do what he wants with it. That means that his mission is going to take priority. Remember the, the season of life when Angie and I were considering going to the mission field in Nicaragua. And to, to look my parents in the eye and have that conversation with them was complicated. For them to have the realization that we may be having babies in Central America was complicated for them. But this is where this is really helpful. It's not my mission, it's not my mom and dad's mission, it's Jesus' mission. And he gets to do with the mission and with the church what he wants. And when he works something in my heart to do it, I can't not do it. Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, students. When God gets a hold of your heart. And you listen, you listen to a story like Vicky's. You listen to the transformation that takes place and, and the mission that pours out. She didn't get to manufacture that. And she doesn't get to control it. Students, when you hear the story of a missionary or somebody who's doing work within the kingdom of God and God gets a hold of your heart, you don't get to say no. I don't want you to say no. and Mom and dad, I want you to say yes along with them and send them out. Yes, yes, yes. Do whatever God has called you to do. He's the beginning. He's the beginning of this church. He's the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. There is no church. There is no people of God without Jesus. He's the beginning of the church. He's the one who who had this idea first. Every author puts her name on her book. Every artist puts their name on their work. When I create something in my garage, there's a way that I mark it, that it's mine. Jesus' name is on every soul of the church. We call ourselves Christians because we belong to Christ. Jesus is the firstborn. It's the same usage of the word in verse 15. It's not about him being the first one. It's not only that he was the first and only to be born of a virgin. It's not only that he was the first to go through the human experience without sin. It's not only that he is the first to be raised from the dead, to be glorified, it is the value of Jesus' resurrection that makes him firstborn. It's what it means, it's what he accomplished that makes him the firstborn. Jesus is the first in redemption. All of redemption hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. It's why Easter morning is so phenomenal. It's why death has no sting. It's why funerals are different for us. Jesus' resurrection is the hope of the church. The hope of glory says, This isn't all there is. Jesus said to Martha at the death of her brother, He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He looks at Martha. He knows her heart, but he asks the question why? The same reason I'm asking you the question. You need to follow Jesus. Is he preeminent? Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the creator of all things? Do you believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, that Jesus paid the price for sin? Do you believe this? Today, friends, the one that you are worshiping, this is the one you believe in. Do you believe this? Don't go into our worship time without having this settled in your mind and heart. Do you believe this? For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And here in verse 19 and 20, we have come full circle in the hymn of the preeminence of Jesus. He is the first in creation and he is the first in redemption. Philippians 2.9 says this, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. What this does, what this ought to do, in your heart, does in mine, when I see Jesus in his glory and the preeminence, and I hear of all that he's accomplished in creation and redemption, what it does is it produces worship. I long to elevate him. I long to, to, to lift him up in praise. And that's what we're gonna do. As Rob and Livia and the worship team come, they're gonna come and lead us in worship. And we get to worship the preeminent Christ In all his glory, in all his delight, of all he has accomplished in creation redemption, the redeemed of the Lord get to say so.